Bonjour, Rachel. Ooh, that was a fancy French accent that I wasn't <laughs> expecting. Okay. Hi. I am physically in the U.S. as we record this episode tonight, but my royal heart is at the state banquet at the Palace of Versailles, and President Macron is offering me one of the lovely floral centerpieces to mm-hmm. take home, and I just have to ask you, where is your royal heart today? Are you joining me in Versailles? I wish. Is my heart different from my royal heart? Like in my <laughs> in my royal heart, yeah, I'll be at Versailles all day long. But I am so I had a birthday since our last episode. So I'm 37 now and proud of the age of the added year. And I'm actually sitting in Birmingham right now. So I did go since our last episode to New Orleans and I saw Beyonce in concert, the Renaissance World mm-hmm. Tour, which was incredible I heard that she is coming out with the like Taylor Swift is coming out with the movie or documentary of the show so the world can experience and that's coming out I think on December 1st so it was fantastic and then now I'm back here and you and I are going to have dinner soon and I'm another year older well congratulations yeah you've had a (laughs) a fun busy week um Mm -hmm. and I'm excited you're back here for a little while and we have to have to apologize to our Instagram followers because I hinted at that we might have an episode later last week Mm, and yeah as things go the calendar was quite busy for both of us and we had some more conflicts so we had to hold all of our content for this week um so we've got a lot to talk about today this will be a full episode and we're gonna start the episode off with a bit of British and this is a new segment that we introduced um probably a few episodes back now Um, and I'm excited about this one today. So let's go ahead and jump in. Let's do it. For today's bit of British, I have a fun recipe for a warm beverage as we go into the autumn season. And this one is really for our Anglophiles. Those of you that like little nods to England. And I bet most of our listeners have heard of this beverage and perhaps enjoyed it at some point in the past. So I found a homemade healthier version of the popular London Fog Latte. Have you heard Mm. of these, Rachel? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've ever had it, but I have heard of it. Okay. So of course, a lot of coffee shops do have the London Fog Latte on their menus, but if you want to recreate this drink at home with cleaner ingredients, I came across a recipe on, I think it was called the Healthy Maven blog, not one Mm. I'm familiar with, but I also have a fun fact about this drink. So did you know that the London Fog Latte was actually first created in Vancouver, Canada in the 90s? Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Why not call it the Vancouver Fog? <laughs> so as the story goes, there was a place called the Buckwheat Cafe in Vancouver. And one of their regular customers, a lady who was actually pregnant at the time, didn't like coffee, but she wanted a warm beverage. So she asked the barista to add some steamed milk and vanilla to her hot tea. And Mm. the London Fog Latte was born. So, all right, let's talk about what the London Fog Latte is. First of all, it is really, really similar to the Earl Grey Tea Latte. So the primary difference is the London Fog Latte has more of a vanilla flavor where the Earl Grey Tea Latte does not. Mm, coffee shops will usually add a vanilla syrup to the London fog latte to give it that flavor but the recipe that I found uses more natural sweeteners and it's probably easier to make because you don't have to prepare the vanilla syrup Mm -hmm. so are you ready for the recipe 
Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So here's what you're going to need. One Earl Grey tea bag, Mm -hmm. half a cup of hot water, Mm -hmm. half a cup of vanilla, almond milk, or plant-based milk of choice, a fourth teaspoon of vanilla extract, and one to two teaspoons of a sweetener like maple syrup or honey. Mm -hmm. So you're going to steep the maple tea bag in the hot water. So heat up your water, pour it in your cup, put the tea bag in there and let that steep for about three to five minutes. While it's steeping, you're going to combine the almond milk and the vanilla extract. Um, Oh, and you also want to go ahead and put your sweetener in the hot water so it can dissolve with the tea as well. Then put your almond milk and vanilla extract. um, And if you've got like a frother or a steamer, you can, you can do that and warm that up. I have a frother that I use an electric frother. So (laughs) Um, once you've got the milk done frothing and your tea bag has steeped and your sweetener, your honey or syrup has dissolved, remove the tea bag, pour the warm milk over the top and voila, you can enjoy your, enjoy your London fog latte while you sit outside on a crisp autumn morning or go for a walk in your neighborhood. That actually sounds um, like a great idea is just sitting outside on, I love a good crisp fall morning. It is a really good drink. And I, since I found this recipe a couple of weeks ago, I've made it twice. I actually made one this afternoon. Mm. Well, you know what? I didn't have my coffee this morning. And so this is sounding especially good. That's, that sounds uh, like fantastic. I'm going to have to make that happen in my life this week, I think. For sure. And if listeners make it, let us know how you like the recipe. Um, Love we'll, it. we'll include it in the show notes. How about that? Sounds good. Well, we have what I feel like is an extra long Royal Rundown for two reasons. Number one, we took an unexpected week off last week. So we have a lot of ground to cover just because it's been two weeks. And number two, the Royals are so busy. I mean, if we, we just listeners, if we did every engagement that every working Royal was doing, we would have three hour episodes each time. So for sure, if you say, Oh, well, what about this engagement? We're hitting what we feel are the highlights for you, because if we hit every single engagement that every single working royal did we'd be here all day but of course we have to start with the France visit so King Charles and Queen Camilla touched down in France on September 20th which is the day that our last episode dropped this trip actually was Charles's 35th official visit to France that's a lot of visits I mean granted France is not that far from the UK but still that's a lot of official visits and Camilla's ninth so I absolutely loved Camilla's pink look that she wore when they first arrived in France so we have a photo here in our notes Um, I believe this is if I'm not I know the the evening look was Dior I believe that she was in Dior throughout so what do you think of this look on Camilla when she arrives? It's like a, um, like a pastel pink hat and coat, and it looks like a dress underneath that. So what are your thoughts? Well, I definitely thought it was fun. I, you know, I like pink. I think it's a beautiful color. I love the pop of color, but it was unexpected. I don't think I would have predicted she would have chosen this. Mm -hmm. I love this color. Like I, I mean, hats can go either way for me, but I just, love the color on this it's it's very flattering on her I I personally love this color I love the cut of everything I think she looks radiant I think she looks absolutely beautiful I will say I I 
I like it. I think it's a, a fun choice and, and it was unexpected. Not my favorite, but, but I do give it a thumbs up. I like it. Okay. Well, I do like it. I mean, I'm not going to, I, I like the evening look even better, but let's, before we get to that. So their first stop was the, at the Arc de Triomphe where Charles was invited to light the eternal flame. Of course, I actually did not know this until I was researching this for the show, but the, uh, it burns as a memorial of those who died in world war one and world war two. I've actually been there. It's, it's stunning of course, in person. And, um, that is also where queen Elizabeth was welcomed during her last state visit to France in 2014. And I should also mention that Charles and Camilla were met by the Macrones upon their arrival. So then on Wednesday night, Charles and Camilla attended a state banquet at the Palace of Versailles, which you alluded to earlier. I wish I was at Versailles with them, along with about 150 guests, including Mick Jagger was not expecting that. Hugh Grant. Um, Once again, Camilla took my breath away. So her dress was bespoke Dior with a full length cape. And I have a photo. This the photo that I put in the notes is actually particularly a great picture of the dress because I don't know if it's the way the wind's hitting or the way she's moving, but you can really see the Cape in this photo. And I mean, wow, like she, the fat and as one does when they go to France, right? If you're going to bring your fashion a game at any time, bring it to to Paris or bring it to France. But what are your thoughts on this? Um, what I, and here's blue again, right? But I'm not even mad at it. I'm not mad at the blue because it's so beautiful. So what do you think? Well, I, yeah, I do. I love this look. I love the, like the Cape effect on the dress, but this dress was really like, I mean, it has a wow factor. It's a big dress. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. it's interesting that she is almost or really in it in the identical same color as president Macron's wife. Um, and you know, Camilla's dress is, I don't know. There's just more of like a punch with it, in my opinion, than the, the president's wife. And I don't know, is that like, do you, do you think they coordinate these things or what do you you think that the host would be in a more, uh, glamorous? I mean, don't get me wrong. The president's wife dress is very glamorous too, with the Mm -hmm. shimmery, you know, belt and line around the neck. But, um, but Camilla's is just like almost Mm -hmm. like a ball gown kind of effect. I I'm almost pot. If they didn't coordinate colors then that would be a very strange coincidence, but I, so I know this because, um, Oh gosh, who was it? Um, what is the prime minister's name? Boris Johnson. Um, so Boris Johnson's wife revealed after her late majesty passed away that someone from her team sent her a note saying what the queen would be wearing on a night that they had a banquet or an event or something. So I don't know how much lead time, um, Mrs. McCrone had, but I, I have to think that she knew that mm-hmm. at the color because otherwise what a what an odd like they're in the exact same color so no, it, it's, what it's an odd too intentional oh for sure yeah but you, you're right I mean her dress Macron Mrs. Macron's dress is beautiful but it's not on the level of stunning and take your breath away as Camilla's I don't think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but maybe that's on purpose you know because you want to let your guests shine you know it's right. they're the guests of honor. So you want to let them shine. I I love this. And, um, you know, so, so much to talk about here, but I can't help but think when I think of Dior, I think of Megan, when I think of capes, I think of Megan. And so I kind of love it. And I just think Camilla looks endlessly chic. Her, her fashion on this trip took my breath away. So at the dinner, 
the king spoke of his parents, Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. He said, in part, my parents' first official visit together was to France in 1948, shortly after their wedding. By all accounts, they made quite a splash, dancing till the early hours at the glamorous Chez Carrère in the Rue Pierre Chiron, serenaded by Edith Platt. I, su I suspect it may have left an indelible impression on me, even six months before I was born. La Vie and Rose is one of my favorite songs to this day. So I want to share, speaking of, well, I guess you talked about a drink, but I want to share the menu from the dinner. By the way, as we've talked about on the show before, Charles has a ban on foie gras at all UK royal residences. And he apparently banned the dish from this dinner as well. I didn't know that you have the power to do that. Like that's I like, was going to say, oh, <laughs> it's like saying like calling someone else's house and being like, Hey, I'm banning, <laughs> I'm banning this dish from you serving it to me. When I visit your house, um, I would never be so bold, but I'm also not the King of England. So interestingly, here's a fun fact for you listeners. When his mother, Queen Elizabeth dined at Versailles in 1957, she ate, you guessed it, foie gras. So it's just <laughs> interesting how times have changed. Okay. So I thought the menu sounded very very good it the appetizer was blue lobster and pot crab with a veil of fresh almonds and peppermint this was created by Anne sophie pick who is the only french chef chef i cannot speak with three michelin stars so then wow. we move into the main course which is bressy chicken with corn and a porcini mushroom gratin cooked by yannick alano or ayano a-l-l-e-n-o we got some flack by the way probably deserved on how we pronounced or mispronounced some of the labels that Megan was wearing at the Invictus game so look we said in episode one listeners that we were not perfect if you were expecting two perfect podcasters you're in the wrong place so I will mispronounce things this episode I'm sure and many episodes to come you can laugh at them but it is what it is we're doing our best we do do a ton of research we have 13 what 13 pages of research for today okay so then we move into the cheese portion which i did not know that there was such thing as a cheese portion of the meal but i am i'll take it. it i support this 100 <laughs> percent. so they were served 30 month old compte stitch elton english blue Ooh. I will take any kind of cheese I can get. I've never met a cheese I didn't like. Then I not a big fan of blue cheese or goat. Oh, cheese. I love blue cheese. I love. Blue I'm. A, I'm. I love goat cheese. I eat it all. I the time. like goat cheese too. I again, I've never met a cheese I did not like. And then for dessert, we have Isfahan Persian macaroon. This is mm -hmm. Chef Pierre Hermes' signature pudding. It is inspired by the ancient city in Iran contains rose water, raspberries, and lychees. Le Again, I will mispronounce things till the cows come home, but I'm trying. Then to drink, of course, when in France, you have to drink properly. There were wines served costing more than 400 pounds per bottle, and they were served in three different varieties. So that is what they ate in, at Versailles. So any thoughts on the menu? Sounds incredible. I, again, would have loved to have had an invitation. And if you're dining at the Palace of Versailles, I mean, you you really have to go big or go home, right? It's a mm -hmm. beautiful palace. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I shared the photos from the event on our Instagram story. It was stunning. So beautiful. Beautiful. It's really fun to see that, even if it was just through photos. Yes. The photos were 
especially beautiful. So then on Thursday, the next day, this was a short visit. They were just there Wednesday through Friday. So on Thursday, Camilla joined the first lady of France, Bridget McCrone, mentioned her a couple of times already at a sports center in St. Denis, just outside of Paris, where the two women took part in a game of table tennis. And then on the same day, the king addressed senators and members of the National Assembly at the French Senate. This is actually the first time a member of the British royal family has spoken from the Senate chamber. He swapped back and forth between French and English, and he spoke of the importance of the relationship between the two nations. He received such a long standing ovation that the king didn't seem to quite know what to do with himself. I mean, that is kind of awkward when it goes on and on. What do you do like after, <laughs> after a certain point, but it was, it was that well-received. And then they also visited the restoration efforts of the Notre Dame cathedral, which of course burned down a few years ago. Um, and along with a ton, again, a ton of other smaller engagements. I mean, they're, they had, they had a stacked calendar throughout these couple of days, far too numerous to mention. We're just hitting the highlights here. So this of course is the first, First foreign visit, by the way, of the king. Oh, I say that they went to Germany earlier this year, so maybe I'm speaking out of term. But um, they, and they're also due, by the way, to go to Kenya, I believe, this fall. But I haven't heard any dates on that. And fall is here and is moving by very quickly. So we'll see what happens with that. But then the king and queen's second stop in France was to Bordeaux. They learned about sustainable vineyard practices at Chateau Smith Hout Lafitte. The fully organic vineyard obviously produces wine, but it also creates solar power and develops carbon capture and environmentalism. Of course, we don't have to tell you listeners is a cause Charles is interested in. So it was only a three-day visit. It was short, pretty relatively under the radar, yet it accomplished its purpose. So I think this is my opinion. I think that going, we, I do not think I will say this now. I don't think we will ever see an eight day Caribbean tour, not just Caribbean, any kind of tour like William and Kate did in the spring of 2022. I think those days are over. I think the visits will be more like this three days in and out short and sweet, sometimes solo. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes Kate will go alone. She's done that before William same. Um, but I think that they will be much more understated and modest. And so I'm wondering if you think that this will be the tone of Royal tours going forward. I do. I fully agree. I think we're going to see shorter trips. Um, and, also agree that we'll see them traveling maybe individually for some of these, especially if it's just a couple of days. But I do want to say before we move on from this, I loved this trip to France. I mean, mm -hmm. this is, this sounds like so much fun. Um, I loved hearing about the engagements, the food. I mean, a fully organic vineyard. I mean, could you imagine how lovely that wine tasting would be? I, I love learning about organic wines and, and trying them. Um, my mom and I both, um, we, we like trying organic wines. So, um, anyway, it just sounded like a fun trip and I think it was, I don't know, kind of a mood booster, right? Don't you think? Yeah, like it was, yeah, I think we needed that. And by the way, I just thought of this. Do you remember when we went on the Alabama wine trail? So there, there's this thing in, uh, in and around <laughs> Birmingham called the Alabama wine trail and it has three stops and you and I went to two of the stops and 
thank God you were driving because I got I did not intend for this to happen, but I got so drunk that like I was a mess. <laughs> and like I mean, we well, it's a wine tasting at two different wineries. What do you expect from me? And I mean, thank God that you were responsible and sober because I was beyond tipsy. And that was just a fun, that was years ago. That was like pre-podcast royal, like five years ago. Anyway, I just thought of that when you said vineyard. Yeah, that was a fun day, but um I would have to recommend the French vineyards over the Alabama wine trail. Maybe I'll probably give you that. Yeah, I'll probably give you that. <laughs> well, okay. While the king and queen were traveling across borders to France, we saw a photo of the prince and princess of Wales off duty at Prince George's football game last week. Did you see this photo, Rachel? I did. It looked like it had been raining or something. Everybody looked very yeah. like wet. <laughs> Well, you know, we were just talking about how Catherine may not be joining William on his trip to Singapore, and our guess was that she wants to be home with the kids more, and I think this event was a really good reminder of how involved they are in their kids' activities, and like you said, they were braving the rainy British weather. Prince William was in a baseball hat. Catherine was in this long olive green barber jacket, and she had looked like a scarf with white sneakers, and I was really surprised to see this, Rachel, full on flare jeans. I, don't I mean, like this flare jeans trend. I just okay. don't. Well, they were such a throwback to early 2000s fashion. I mean, it was a clear break from her normal skinny jeans that we used to sing her in. And, and I wanted to ask your thoughts on it because I agree with you. I am remembering the days of these long jeans getting soaking wet um, <laughs> in the rain. And I don't miss that at all. <laughs> I... I, if, if look, I'll just put it this way. If they're not flattering on the princess of Wales, then who <laughs> could they possibly be flattering on? Right. I mean, they just do nothing for any of any of us. I mean, I, I have now, now Jessica, we're getting old enough where we've not only experienced trends once, but now we're on our second go around of these, of these trends. And I just look, I'm not a fan of the cut on anybody, but I mean, I love seeing her dress down by the way, it has been all but basic. I don't think the palace has confirmed it, but all but confirmed that Kate is not going to Singapore. And the reason for that is George is sitting what I, for what I think are his entrance exams to Eden. So it's a very important day or week for him, a couple of days for him. And I totally support and respect that she's William will be fine in Earthshot. Well, will be fine. And that makes me think that this was sort of a scheduling conflict. You know, you can't do anything about entrance exams. So I feel like we'll probably hopefully see her at Earthshot in future years. Oh, I think so. Yeah. But this, it just didn't work out this time and she's prioritizing the kids. And I don't think anybody would fault her for that. Not at all. Well, I know I mentioned how much I loved the Paris tour, but I, I really am loving the news that we're covering this week so far. We've just got a lot of fun stuff in this episode, and that's mm -hmm. what I love about the Royals. So, you know, we've got everything from our lavish dinner at Versailles, and now we're moving on to a story about the Princess of Wales visiting a textile mill and... Rachel, she met the owners of House and Hackney. Mm. As someone who loves interior design and House of Hackney, and of course, the Princess of Wales, I was really excited to see this engagement. So let's do a quick rundown of the day. She started the events in Leeds with a visit to A.W. Hainsworth, a textile mill that she actually has a really close personal connection to. Mm -hmm. So her great-grandfather on her father's side was a Middleton, 
and married the director of the mill at the time, which was called William Lupton and Co., which, by the way, if he married the director of the mill, I mean, that was a corporate girly back in the day. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think her name was Olive. So go, girl. Yeah. (laughs) So they later sold the company to A.W. Hainsworth in the 50s. And another fun fact, A.W. Hainsworth has provided fabric for royal coronations, including Queen Elizabeth II in 1953 and King Charles earlier this year. So another connection there um, to that mill. And I mean, just another reason that Catherine is such a great fit with the and, royal. Yeah. And they and they also make the red uniforms the palace guards wear and, and um, the same red that William wore to their wedding. So, yes, love that. Well, she learned about things like how the mill starts with raw materials and creates you know, the finished fabric, even dyeing it to get the desired colors. So I just thought this was a great day and it was fun to kind of follow along with everything. After her time in Leeds, she traveled to Lancaster where she visited the print works Standfast and Barracks. And this is where they print patterns on textiles. And it's also where she met the owners of House and Hackney. So the brand has partnered with Stanfast and Barracks to explore more sustainable techniques of farming materials. Um, for listeners who may not be familiar with House of Hackney, they're a British interiors company, and I feel like they're sort of known for their quirky takes on traditional designs. They've got a lot of bold colors, which make them really recognizable. Mm-hmm. Just a really fun company. They've got everything from textiles to you know wallpapers and um, they actually launched a line with anthropology Mm. so now we're really talking my favorite things Mm. um you know combining all of these together but I bought a roll of their wrapping paper last year for gifts and it's so pretty um I don't know just just a really fun brand I loved the partnership with with anthropology that they did or the collab that they did Mm. Um, But one more thing I'll mention on this story. So Catherine was dressed in a green Burberry pantsuit with a white blouse. And I thought this green Burberry suit was a really great choice. I loved the rich color. I thought that made it appropriate Mm -hmm. for a textile engagement. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was cut really well. It was it was just a fun outfit. Yeah. And you can tell from that visit and we could have assumed this that she really Kate really loves fashion like she's a fashion girl and she appreciates fashion and by the way so she's wearing underneath all of these things she's wearing a Holland Cooper bodysuit so it's actually a bodysuit underneath and it's relatively affordable I've shopped it out a couple times on a couple articles I've written it's it's in the 100 it's like 150 pounds or something and and obviously you can get good traction out of it and good use out of it so listeners if you're interested in that I believe it is Holland Cooper the bodysuit and then I mean if you can't do Burberry which I can't personally (laughs) then you can do Holland Cooper but we you and I were at dinner the other night when you mentioned and you mentioned this before I mean I I kind of was catching on but um Kate is this is deliberate at this point I mean she has not worn anything but a pantsuit or a blazer and trousers since September 9th was when all this started so that's nearly a month and for her and she's been out a lot so it's not like she's just had a couple of engagements so you mentioned Kate is wearing so many pantsuits lately I actually want to talk about this briefly so she as I said has worn nothing but pantsuits or again separate so like a a blazer and trousers since September 9th I I when I wrote this it was nine in a row but I think we're now over 10 because she had engagements today she's wearing a pinstripe suit today we're recording on Tuesday what is today the third so she um I really 
love that she last week I loved when she wore a red Zara blazer I think the blazer was like $46 to an engagement she had her hair up in like kind of a loose style I just loved it it was a bun and um again she wore a pinch as I said she wore a pinstripe one today so what is going on here I I need your opinion there there has to be a deeper meaning here so what is going on with the pantsuits we've never I mean we've seen her in pantsuits throughout the years but never so concerted and never so many in a row yeah, I know there's been a lot of discussion online among several royal watchers out there about her wearing too many pantsuits and people think that they're boring. And here's what I'll say about that. I 100% agree. <laughs> so you all know I loved Catherine's season of um, coat dresses. I am a big coat dress fan that's like I don't know. That to me is kind of like her signature classic look that that she came to be known for. Mm-hmm. And I think she can still carry out really important work and professional engagements um, outside of wearing a pantsuit. I think you can still achieve the work mm-hmm. that she wants to achieve in a dress or a skirt. And and you and I, you know, we talked about this, I think, in our last episode or the episode before where you mentioned um like, for example, Megan's fashion at the Invictus Games, you know, we talked a lot about that, but that's kind of the reason it got so much coverage and attention. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to work that princesses do when they want to, you know, shine a light on something. Um, a lot of people are drawn in to the fashion um, and then they learn about the important cause. So exactly. I am a fan of the occasional pantsuit. Like I said, the Burberry one is an example of a pantsuit that gives something interesting for fashion lovers while still looking professional. I also really liked the white pantsuit that she wore in France recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I found a few of them to be pretty boring. I wasn't a huge fan of some. I really I did, did not like the pinstripe one today, honestly. Yeah, I, I did not like the pinstripe suit today and I didn't think it complimented Prince William's outfit at all either. Like it almost clashed with it. Um, I also did not love that caramel colored. Is it a Roland Murray suit mm-hmm. that she wore to the streets of growth engagement? Um, I know pantsuits are trending right now and I do understand again why she might wear them in certain occasions, but my hope is that she finds a little bit of balance and she rotates some dresses into her wardrobe soon. I do feel like this, there is a reason that she's doing this. It's sending some kind of message, but I'm wondering, does she have a new stylist on her team? Is she trusting their vision or is she letting them drive the ship? Like, I just, I don't know. I can't figure out what the goal is here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do agree with you when she had the red Zara um, suit jacket on with her hair pulled back. I liked her hair pulled back like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we said this last time, I'm not a big fan of like the, um, the bangs or the fringe that we've seen. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more relaxed and messier than the usual kind of polished look that we're used to seeing. And um, I don't know. I miss that. I like, I like the coat dresses and the soft curls and the, and the buns. So yeah, that's just my, my personal take. What do you think? I think the pantsuits are starting to become like the color blue. It's great until it's so overdone that we're getting sick of it. Right. And so, I mean, yes, I agree. Shake it up, you know, go coat dress, pantsuit, um, you know, do, do a combination, but it's just, it's just getting to be a little bit too heavy handed, I think. And I, I know that, I mean, obviously she's been princess of Wales for over a year. 
this could be signaling that this is a new shift in her work and royal life. I mean, we, you know, pantsuits typically mean powerful, not that coat dresses aren't, I think being feminine and wearing a coat dress can be just as powerful as wearing a pantsuit. But I think, you know, I will say that her team, and I know this from when I was in Boston covering her and William for Earthshot last year, her team has really moved away from talking about who she's wearing. Um, They really don't like to do that anymore. They want the focus to be on the work, which I completely understand. But what you just said a moment ago is true. The fashion is the entree point to whatever work they're doing, whether it's Megan at the Invictus Games or Kate at Streets of Growth or whatever, we're paying attention to what she's wearing and then we find out what she's doing. And so I think maybe, I don't know this, but the pantsuit thing could be hopefully be an attempt, but we're still, we still want to know who's designing it, whether it's McQueen or whoever, Burberry or whatever. Uh, Maybe it's an attempt to get us to talk less about her Catherine Walker coat dresses and talk more about the work she's doing, but you can have both at the same time. My thing is if, 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 as long as we're talking about the work, which we always do, then who cares how we get there, right? Like if a Burberry suit is what got us talking about XYZ event, then who cares how we got there? I don't know. I just think it's getting a little bit overdone and heavy handed. Um, just like the color blue, you know, I mean, something is a good thing until you beat it it to death. And then it's, you know, then it becomes just, okay, we're sick of this. So I'm not quite there yet with the pantsuits, but I'm approaching. So we'll see. We'll see. It's got to stop. It's got to stop eventually. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'd like to hear what our listeners think about that as well. I'm going to put a poll up maybe on our our Spotify Mm -hmm. or on Instagram this week and see what listeners have to say. Yeah. Because listeners, I know you're noticing. I mean, there, I don't think there's any Royal watcher who hasn't noticed this. So, um, yeah, just, you know, constantly shifting. I don't know. I, but why now she's been princess of Wales for a year. I, I, I might get it if this happened last September or last October, but I don't know. Well, actually it all started the day after, um, the one year anniversary of her late majesty's death. I don't know if that has anything mm-hmm. to do with anything, but it, that's just, facts so anyway moving on so the king and queen obviously just returned from a state visit to france they will host a state visit in november with south korea's president yoon suk yol and his wife first lady kim kyon hee we will get the exact date of that state visit and more details in due course so says the palace and speaking of the palace on saturday members of the anti-monarchy group republic staged a demonstration inside of buckingham palace organizers tweeted or i guess it's called x now x i don't i don't know the vernacular there that it was the first ever protest inside palace walls the nine activists wore shirts saying as they always do saying not my king six of them were briefly detained by security before being escorted outside so republic is apparently next set to protest at the state opening of parliament on november 7th which is significant because it will be the first time charles delivers his king's speech. So um, there, there's that. Not everybody loves our king. I do, but not everybody does. So we've just had, I'm just going to do a quick, like we have the Royal rundown, but this is like the rundown of the rundown. So we've just had so much going on 
in the last couple of weeks, Tim Cook from Apple visited Windsor mm-hmm. Castle. You have to say was not expecting that. Um, as I said, there's so much going on. I read somewhere that we are in busy season for the Royals. I feel it. I'm sure you do too. We, um, as I said earlier in the show, we can all but confirm that Kate is not going to be accompanying William to Singapore next month for the Earthshot Prize Awards. Again, it is on account of George sitting for exams. I presume it's for Eaton and she wants to be there to support him. So we kind of already talked about this, but I am, I'm almost positive that you agree with the decision. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So a couple of other quick news items over the weekend. I think you're going to talk more about this in a second, but the Royal family's website crashed after a cyber attack by pro Russian hackers. Again, something I was not expecting. Um, it obviously seems to be back up and running now, but I think you have more information about that. Yeah, I want to talk about this for just a second because I don't think we've gotten any official comment from Buckingham Palace about this. So Sunday morning, the Royal Family website was down for over an hour. And this is a site that we've referenced frequently, Rachel, and probably Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners do as well. So the type of attack was a denial of service attack, which is where the cyber criminals basically overload the site with traffic and it causes it to freeze up. So you can't access the site. So anyone who tried to visit the website got an error message. And when I heard about the report on Sunday, I actually attempted to go to the site myself to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. It was up and running again by that time, but I did get a brief pop-up message that then routed me to the homepage, but the message said, checking to see if connection is secure. And I think that's still out there if you try to go there. Um, Apparently it's a security message that they or I'm sorry, a a security measure that they have implemented following the attack. So Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we do clarify while this site was attacked, it's actually not been hacked, which means no cyber criminal broke into the site or took control or access any confidential information. But this is really interesting because a group has come forward to claim responsibility for the attack, even though no like third party or anybody has been able to confirm it, but the group is a pro-Russia group called Killnet, and they've been conducting these sort of attacks on countries that have expressed support for Ukraine. Hmm. So why is this timing really interesting? On September 21st, while in Paris, King Charles made a statement in support of Ukraine saying, together we are unwavering in our determination that Ukraine will triumph and our cherished freedoms will prevail. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, The good news is that Kilnet traditionally has caused annoyances, you know, like outages or temporary site shutdowns. But so far, we haven't seen any major cyber damage from their attacks. So hopefully nothing more serious continues in the future. I'm honestly very scary. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened before that I can remember, but that's yeah, that's terrifying. Well, we're going to take a massive right turn. I don't, I don't know how we could, I, I don't know how to recover from, from that story and move on to I the just next had to jump in there. Yeah, no, I'm it's, it's good information and it is scary and I hope it doesn't continue obviously, but, um, Okay, so there is an exhibition going on from now until November 12th at Guildhall Art Gallery in London, if you should find yourself in London, where 200 items are on display for treasures of gold and silver wire. So you can see a number of royal artifacts at the exhibition, including the embroidered white and gold glove worn by the late Queen Elizabeth at her coronation in 1953. 
the dress worn to the crowning of her, of grand, her grandmother, Queen Mary in 1911. And I, I would probably... Well, I would probably be interested in the in all of it, honestly, but the mantle of the Royal Victorian Order that was worn by Kate and Sophie at King Charles's coronation in May. There are also costumes on display worn by Claire Foy and Matt Smith from Netflix's The Crown. So if you are in London, go check it out and report back. Please take pictures. Let okay. us know how it goes. I always love these exhibitions and hate that I can't be everywhere all at once because, I mean, London in particular has just so many great exhibitions happening all the time well I want to end on this fun story actually it's not going to be the end because we had some late ads at the end of the royal rundown I'm telling you there's you blink and there's another royal story but I did like reading this story yesterday so in honor of the international day of older persons which I just turned 37 so I'm wondering if I qualify for international day of older (laughs) persons Camilla was pictured dancing at the Royal Academy of Dance, encouraging those of a certain age, again, unclear what the certain age is, to keep dancing. So I'm not sure I realized Camilla loved dance so much. I knew that Princess Diana loved dance, and I also know that Princess Charlotte loves dance, but I didn't realize that Camilla loved dance so much. So She's so witty, Camilla, and she called herself slightly creaky, but the Mm -hmm. message to live your life, no matter your age, was received loud and clear. See, so we can't cover, we can't possibly cover every royal engagement, but I do like royal engagements to make me feel good like that. And again, a late ad, but so today, William and Kate were in Wales, they were in Cardiff, and did you see the photo of Kate today doing the heart hands gesture? You know, like where you make your two hands into a heart. The Taylor Swift, have, Taylor Swift popularized this. Yeah, I have not seen that yet. I've got to go check it out. No, she's doing it. Like it's it's it's, it's actually really adorable. So taking a page again from Taylor Swift, who my God has been all over the news lately. I'm already so burned out on covering her and Travis Kelsey, but that's a whole other podcast. But she and William were Kate, not Taylor Swift. Kate and William were in Wales today to actually kick off Black History Month, which um, is in October in the UK and is, is observed in February here in the US. And as I said, they visited Cardiff today. So I just, I mean, there's so much that you know, so many things that we could say about all of these engagements, but of course I'm, you know, closing the Royal rundown with hard hands. I just thought it was like, just shows that, I I don't know. It shows me that Kate has her finger on the pulse of pop culture, which of course we probably could have assumed, but it was really cute. I I just Googled it and I'm looking at it now. (laughs) Isn't it cute? So we'll have to share that photo. Yeah, that's pretty cute. Okay. So we're going to move into segment three now, listener Q&A. So actually we don't have a listener Q&A today, but we do have an interesting email from one of our listeners that I wanted to read. So this is from Kimberly. It is about Princess Sophia's Tierra. Um, she's of Sweden. And you mentioned this, uh, I think it was last episode. It feels like a long time ago because we didn't have an episode last week, but um, so she writes, Hey ladies, thanks for including in last week's pod. Um, Cause I think we read something from, uh, I, we love a good repeat emailer. So I think we read something that Kimberly wrote a couple weeks ago. Anyway, love that we got a double episode of the pod this week. I have a few more interesting gems and just thought they were too good to not pass along. The Swedish Royals are some of my favorites as well. I feel like they really showed up and showed out for this special occasion and used these jewels the way they were meant. I have followed Sophia's style evolution since she began dating Carl Philip, and she has turned into one of the most stylish Royals out there. She continues to bring it for these special occasions and her looks for all of the Jubilee events definitely didn't disappoint. 
Just a few more tidbits on her tiara. The original tiara was actually reconstructed from an emerald and diamond necklace given to Queen Sylvia from a Thai prince, not sure of his name. The necklace was actually sent back to Thailand to be made into the tiara, so it was top secret. The original style was a coronet shape, which is rounder and primarily sits directly on the top of the head. It's also a very appropriate style for a royal of her ranking. The tiara has since been completely redone and now sits on a more halo-shaped base and form, which is wider and more open. If you look at pictures of her wearing the tiara in its original form and the new style, you can see that the new one is actually more versatile and suits the shape of her head better. The blue stones, not the turquoise, are actually briolette cut blue topaz. The different stones or toppers are actually in a type of mounting that screw into the palmettes. My God, Kimberly, you know your stuff. I don't know what half these words mean. Um, okay, back to Kimberly. Changing up the style of this tiara is not a huge undertaking. The emeralds are the only stones whose origin is known. Not sure if the other stones were taken from existing pieces or bought specifically for this tiara. Also, a little more about the Queen Mary diamond fringe tiara. That, this is me speaking, that is worn by um, UK royals. Okay, back to Kimberly. The tiara as it exists now was actually commissioned by and made from diamonds belonging to and worn by Queen Mary on her wedding day. In its original form, it was a necklace given to the then Princess Mary by Queen Victoria as a wedding gift. The diamonds are mounted in what is referred to as bars or spikes. It was part of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother's personal collection until her death. She loaned it to the then Princess Elizabeth for her wedding. It was also loaned to Princess Anne for her first wedding and most recently to Princess Beatrice. I've, you Listeners, you would recognize this tiara if, if you saw it. Back to Kimberly. These diamonds worn by four generations of Windsors have become the most used bridal pieces. There are some great resources for all of the royal tiaras and other prominent pieces of jewelry. Two of my favorites are the courtjeweler.com that Kimberly, I also love the court jeweler and tiaramania.com, which I have not heard of until right now. They are both a wealth of knowledge. I am looking forward to future episodes, hearing more about other royals from around the world. The issues they're working with are equally as important, and they are definitely showing up with style, jewels, and pomp and circumstance that we expect. Cheers, Kimberly. So, wow. How thorough, Kimberly. And thank you so much. I, yeah, the court jeweler, I don't, Jessica, I don't know if you've ever checked that out, but that is, that is a very interesting yeah. site. I do. Yes. I, I follow uh, them on Instagram and mm-hmm. I've checked out their website before too. Yes. Okay. So that wasn't really a Q and a, but I love these emails. So keep them coming. Thank you, Kimberly. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was really interesting. I know we talked last time about, you know, how, how much of an undertaking is it to trade out these, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> stones, you know, it sounds like it's not too difficult. So I think, I think that's cool. I mean, if I were a princess, I would love to have a tiara that I could just change up like that with my outfits. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would probably wear it grocery shopping. Um, yeah. If it was that easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and jump into royals around the world. So this week we are visiting the Netherlands, Spain, Belgium, and Norway. Whoa. Yeah. So we were so jam-packed with news last time that we didn't have time to touch on this first story. So I want to go ahead and talk about the Netherlands real quick. On September 19th, um, it was budget day in the Netherlands, which is actually their version of the state opening of parliament. Um an event that our British royal followers are probably really familiar with. So the king and queen were both in attendance, as well as their daughters, Princess Katerina Amalia and Princess Alexia. 
King Willem Alexander gave a speech where he reflected on the past 10 years that he's been on the throne. So he mentioned the impacts of the coronavirus pandemic and the war on Ukraine. And he also said, time and time again, the Netherlands appears to be a country of enterprising and initiative-rich people who want to do good for and with each other in connection with their neighbors, village, city, association, or region. He announced that some of their top priorities will be tackling the high cost of living in the country and the country's support of Ukraine. So we've got another shout out out there. I hope they are securing their government websites after saying that. Seriously. That's not funny, but that was funny. For another year, Princess Katerina Amalia has chosen to not accept her royal allowance, which we've talked about in the past on the podcast. She forgoes that until I believe she's um, is it 21 or when she starts her royal duties? I think. I think she said something to the effect of when she deserves it. So mad respect to her for, for, for her self-awareness. Yeah, that's great. Well, we also have an update from Princess Leonor from Spain. Listeners will remember she began her military program several weeks ago now. And it's been reported that she's passed her basic training. So she's now a Dame Cadet. Way to go. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. During her training, she participated in shooting exercises, water courses, and education on military weapons and equipment. So like we just said, congrats to Dame Cadet. Yes, big congratulations. We also have another military training update. update. So this time it's from Belgium. Princess Elizabeth, which is the first in line to the throne as the king and queen's oldest child, started her military program in 2020, and this week she took an oath as an officer and was ranked deputy lieutenant of the Belgian army. Previous monarchs have also taken this oath, and I thought this was really cool. She took it in three different languages. Wow, and I want to stop you here for one second. Wow, wow, wow. And how much do we have to look forward to the next generation of monarchs, right? Well, I guess the no. not the next, but the one after that. I mean, these three women, whoa, like Katerina Amalia, Leonor, Elizabeth, we have a lot of men on the throne right now. We only have one birth queen and that's Queen Margrethe of Denmark uh, and a whole lot of men. It's about to be girl power up in here, and I am excited. It's it's going to be very – the U.K. royals will have men for a long time, but the women are coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're doing a lot of really cool things right now, so it's really fun to see there. Um, it sounds like they're going to be really great leaders. Absolutely. Okay, so finally, we do have a little bit of disappointing news from our Norwegian royal family. Crown Princess Met Merit is having to step back from her royal engagements for the time being due to some ongoing health issues that she's actually been battling for several years. So I actually missed this story. This is really sad. I had no idea. Yeah, listeners may remember she was due to attend the Golden Jubilee of King Carl Gustav of Sweden last month, but she had to cancel those plans also because of her health. So in 2018, she was diagnosed with chronic pulmonary fibrosis after years of having symptoms. So she finally got a diagnosis and recently it was announced that she would take two weeks of sick leave, but that's now been extended until her health improves. I think she kind of has on off battles with with symptoms flaring up but a statement from the palace said 
the crown princess will continue to have reduced activity and has no official program planned for this week or during the autumn holidays. So we are sending prayers to crown princess met merit that she'll mm -hmm. be feeling better and back at work soon. Absolutely. I, I don't know how I missed that story, but feel better. And also we didn't have these in the research, but I know that Prince Christian of Denmark is turning 18 soon and he's going to have a big, big, big 18th birthday party. So expect all the tiaras to come out royals from around the world. He's very handsome. He's also very young as, as very evidenced by my advancing age. I just had another birthday. He's 18 years old. That means, God, my God, that means he's almost 20 years younger than me. I just, that makes me want to cry. But anyway, um, so stay tuned for that because that birthday party is coming up and you know we'll cover it and all the fashion and all of that stuff. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so last segment of the day is our second-to-last, our penultimate Royal Deep Dive. So today on Royal Deep Dive, we have a double whammy for you. We've got Princess Eugenie and her mother, Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York. Fergie has a birthday coming up on October 15th, and so happy early birthday to her. We've already covered Eugenie's older sister, Beatrice, in a previous episode, and we're not covering Prince Andrew, so I don't feel like it. So she, Eugenie, is now known as Mrs. Jack Brooksbank, but Princess Eugenie Victoria Helena was born on March 23rd, 1990 at Portland Hospital in London to Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson, Duke and Duchess of York. At birth, she was sixth in line to the throne. She is now 11th. She attended St. George's School in Marlborough. I cannot say that word. Marlborough <laughs> College and attended university at Newcastle, earning a bachelor's degree in English literature and history of art. And in addition to her work as a philanthropist, Eugenie has worked at art galleries as well. So backtracking to her childhood, Eugenie was the first royal baby to have a public christening. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Because like, mm -hmm. you know, we just, I, I, it's hard to, yeah, it's just hard to think that she was the first and her parents divorced in 1996 when she was six years old. In 2002, when she was 12, she had a successful back surgery to correct her scoliosis. We've talked about this on the show before. I think we even ended up, ended up in the tabloids for this, but the scar from that surgery was prominently displayed in her Peter Pelotto wedding gown. And that was designed with a low back on purpose to display her surgical scar, which I love. Yeah, I do remember talking about that on the podcast, and I love that she chose to do that. You know, whenever I think of her wedding, I think of, of that moment and her kind of, I don't know, being her truest self. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I always think of that beautiful emerald tiara, which I really loved. That was a great look. Yeah. And you know that, so in 2018, there were two royal weddings, Harry and Meghan's and then hers and Jack's. And I feel like, of course, hers kind of got a little bit overshadowed. They were both at the same place, but still, that is a beautiful royal wedding. You can watch that on YouTube. I watched it during COVID and it's beautiful. And I just, we've said this once, we've said it a million times. I just really like the York sisters. I think that Beatrice and Eugenie seem to be great people. And this was not planned to add in here, but um, Eugenie and Harry are still really close. And I just heard that Eugenie and 
probably Jack too, hosted Harry and Meghan for a quick trip to Portugal. So Eugenie and Jack split their time between the UK and Portugal and Harry and Meghan snuck up there in between leaving Dusseldorf and the Invictus Games and going back home to California. So um, yeah. and the photos of where they stayed look amazing. So before marriage, Eugenie moved to New York City for a year. And she met her future husband, Jack Brooksbank, in Switzerland through mutual friends. They dated for seven years before he proposed. So kind of doing a William and Kate style courtship while the two, he proposed while the two were on vacation in Nicaragua. So their their engagement was announced on January 22nd, 2018. And they, as I just said, were married at St. George's Chapel on October 12th of 2018 same place that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were married five months prior. So we talk enough about Eugenie, honestly, for you all to know that she is a mom to two boys, August and Ernest, or Augie and Ernie, as we call them. And I think she calls them that too. By the way, after I had written this royal deep dive on her, I learned that her podcast, which is called Floodlight, is getting a second season. So congratulations to her. Shout out to our fellow podcaster, Eugenie. Yes, everybody's all over the podcast space. William, Kate, and Mike Tyndall, Eugenie, we're all here. <laughs> so let's move on to her mother, Fergie, as she is known. Fergie is the grandmother of four now, and she was born Sarah Margaret Ferguson in London on October 15th, 1959. She is the second daughter of Major Ronald Ferguson and Susan Barantes, and who passed away, I think, in 1998. And Fergie has one older full sister, Jane. Her parents divorced in 1974 when she was about 15 years old. And her mother married polo player Hector Barantes in 1975 and moved to Argentina. As I just mentioned, Susan actually ended up dying in a horrific car accident not too long. I think it was about a year after Princess Diana's car accident. So it was just a really tumultuous time for Fergie. Fergie's father also remarried and he had three more children named Andrew, Alice, and Elizabeth, which all of those names are very royal sounding names, by the way. And uh, Fergie later said that at the age of 12, as her parents' marriage started to fall apart, she developed an eating disorder and began overeating for comfort. So she actually knew Prince Andrew throughout her childhood, they'd run into one another frequently at social events. Fergie went to Queen's Secretarial College and worked at a public relations firm, a publishing company, and like Eugenie would later, an art gallery prior to her marriage. Another one of Fergie's childhood friends, Princess Diana, played matchmaker between Andrew and Fergie. She wanted Fergie to be her sister-in-law because she wanted a friend in the palace with her. So Andrew and Fergie really connected at Royal Ascot in 1985 and about a year later were married on July 23rd, 1986 at Westminster Abbey. Her wedding dress was designed by Lindka Sirach and the beadwork on her gown incorporated various symbols. It was very romantic, including hearts, anchors, because Andrew was in the Navy and waves representing Andrew's sailing background, bumblebees and thistles. She had a 17-foot train featuring the intertwined initials of A and S, of course, for Andrew and Sarah, and upon her marriage, she became the Duchess of York. So, like Charles and Diana, Andrew and Fergie separated in 1992 and divorced in 1996. 
Upon her divorce, Fergie actually lost her HRH status, as did Diana. Fergie struggled with her weight. She also struggled with money. She's had quite a few different careers. She's written a ton of books, and I'm not kidding, a ton of books, a lot of them children's books. She's worked in television and film production. She's been a spokeswoman. She is, well, speaking of podcasters, she is also a podcaster of a show we love, and we talk about her enough on the show as well, honestly, for you to know that she recently battled and conquered breast cancer. So way to go, Fergie. I love the York women, I must say. And uh, this is our, as I said, our second to last Royal Deep Dive. Our last one will be next week and it will focus on Wallace Simpson. So we'll go out with a bang there. Awesome. And we have a mother daughter podcasting Mm -hmm. situation here. I wonder if Eugenie has helped Fergie at all with setting up her show or giving her any advice. What do you think? Do you think they talk about it offline? I do because podcasting is, as we've known, we're we're about to hit three years, by the way. November 14th is our three-year anniversary. Podcasting is a unique, a unique avenue. And so, yeah, I'm sure they've talked about it. Well, thanks for another good Royal Deep Dive. Rachel, do you have anything else before we close out the episode? I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure we covered most of it. But again, forgive us listeners if your favorite engagement wasn't covered. We just we would be here forever and ever and ever. But we hit the high point. So I think that's about it. Yes, I and one thing I didn't mention in this episode that I just thought about who out there is also watching the great British baking show on Netflix. I'm actually not. So I'll leave that to you guys. That'll make me want to eat all the pastries or whatever. (laughs) I started watching it over the weekend. It's like my favorite show ever. So I'm so happy we have another season back. Um, It's always, it's just a fun, it's a fun show to watch and it's full of laughs. So if anybody else is out there watching it, let me know. Well, I personally am waiting with bated breath for the crown, which should be hopefully next month. So we'll, we'll get hopefully a date on that soon. Well, be sure to come hang out with us on Instagram at podcast Royal. If you have questions or thoughts, you can DM us on Instagram um, or you can send us an email to hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Podcast Royal. Bye. Bye.